Hey, good morning. I saw some of you moving to the beat. It's a different one this month. Uh, hey, welcome to Friendship. My name is Andrew. I am the other Andrew. I'm the old Andrew here. Uh, it's Family Sunday. It's a little bit different of a day for us. For those of you that are new with us, I want to say welcome. Uh, every fifth Sunday, which happens just a few times a year, we have kids in the room. And so it's going to be a little bit chaotic today, but it's a glorious chaos. All right. So kids, welcome. We're so glad you're here hanging out with us today. Parents, I just want to tell you to relax, chill. If you have to move around the room, if you have to do laps, if you have whatever you have to do to make it through. Hey, we're all family here. Glad that you're here. Um, I'm going to preach a little bit shorter than normal. Don't laugh. Um, I will. We're going to keep this brief because we're going to pray over and commission parents here at the end of our gathering. And uh, we're also going to pray over students and teachers and educators as they head back into uh, school this year. So as a church, we are in the year of discipleship. We're, I know this sounds funny to say as a church, but we're hyper-focused on the Word of God. Together, we're reading through this Bible reading plan called F260. Uh, Andrew mentioned that earlier. Uh, if you have not joined us, or maybe you're new to us, I would invite you to join us. We're in week number 31, uh, making our way into the New Testament. We have Bible reading plans over at Next Steps. You can also find it online uh, under the Year of Discipleship. Uh, I will say this, that if you've been kind of hit and miss with this reading plan this year. This is a great opportunity. No shame. The past is the past. Jump in with us on week 31 as we make our way through the New Testament for the rest of 2022. This is a great opportunity for you to jump in and uh, put your head down and just start reading along with us. So I invite you to do that. We are in this new series called Word Made Flesh as we enter into the New Testament. Um, and I've so enjoyed our time in the Old Testament, uh, but I'm excited as we get into the New Testament for the, these last few months of the year. We're in John chapter 1 today. And let me give you just kind of a, a super brief overview or recap. This is really the story of God, not just through the Old Testament, but really throughout the Bible and really throughout all of our lives. This is how the story goes. It starts with creation, that God created everything and created humans, man and woman, to worship him, to know him. And yet sin entered in pretty shortly thereafter. The fall occurred. And so uh, man went his own way, went away from God, had other gods. And, and we saw throughout the whole Old Testament, man, God's people keep straying from him. And God in his grace keeps coming after them and pursuing them with his steadfast love, his grace, his kindness, and he's attempting to rescue them. And as we move into the New Testament, we move into this ultimate sense of rescue that God has used prophets and priests and kings to try to draw his people back to himself. And as we move into the New Testament, God sends the ultimate prophet, priest, and king all wrapped up in one person, the person of Jesus, the word made flesh. And so we see uh, as we come into um, this series, this, today's title is the word breaking through the silence in John chapter 1. And we're coming off of uh, a great sermon last week from John Davis, wrapping up the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. So between the Old Testament, Malachi, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, there's this 400-year period of silence where God isn't speaking to his people. There's no new revelation coming from heaven to earth. And, and as we move into the New Testament, the word, Jesus, breaks through the silence. And so that's what we're going to see today, the Savior who comes. And I want to read just a few verses in John chapter 1 for sake of time. We're just going to read a few verses. Uh, if you're in the Bible reading plan, you will read through the entirety of John 1 um, later on this week. 
But John chapter 1, we're going to read the first three verses and then verse 14. Starting in verse number 1 in the Gospel of John, the Apostle John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So the Word was in the beginning. Verse number 14, here's who the Word is. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so as we make our way into the New Testament, there is this new character who's kind of introduced to us. And yet he's not a new character at all. In fact, the whole story has been pointing to him all along. He is this long-awaited Savior, this long-awaited Messiah. His name is Jesus, and the whole story points to Jesus. And he is no ordinary character in this story. It all points to him. And we see multiple names, um, even in John chapter 1, that are given to Jesus that tell us who he is and what he does. Uh, John chapter 1 calls him the Word. He, he is the word who breaks through the silence. He's called the light, the, the true light. And we all understand what light does. Light helps us to see, right? The, the, he is the light that pierces the darkness of our sin. And so Jesus comes as the word of God. He comes as the light, the true light that lights everyone coming into the world. And John chapter 1 also calls him a son, the Son of God, the only Son of the Father. He is the Son of God, which means he is God. He's not just some good guy. He's not just some good teacher. He's not just some dude with some remarkable powers. He is God in the flesh come to save us. And so we have to understand that as we move through this chapter, that Jesus was no ordinary character in the story. It's, he is the central figure of the story of God. But something else we see in John chapter 1 that is so important is that Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world. And this is one of those truths that always blows my mind, that the God of the universe, the creator God, made his way into his creation. That he actually became one of us. He came into the world. And listen, he didn't just make a pit stop on planet Earth, like we would stop at like Love's as we're making a road trip across the country, all right? It says that he was made flesh and dwelt among us. What that literally means is that he tabernacled. He, 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 he pitched a tent among his people. Have any of y'all ever set up camp? You ever go camping, um, tent camping, or anybody in the room? Anybody, anybody? Okay, I know some of y'all camp, all right? Stop looking at me, raise your hand. Um, <laughs> Maybe tent camping or maybe with an RV. Uh, our family has this little teardrop um, trailer that we love. We got earlier this year. Maybe you've seen it on social media. And I'm, I'm telling you, I believe that it's probably the easiest thing to set up camp with. Um, it's way easier than a tent. All right, we just pull up and plug in. Um, it's easier than a you know, big old RV with sewer hookups and all that stuff. It's so easy to set up camp, but it still takes some time. And when you set up camp, no matter if it's a tent or an RV, uh, you don't set up camp to hang out for like an hour or two, right? You're at least staying a day, you're staying you know, a few days a week, maybe you're staying for years or however long you want to stay there. Um, you set up camp to make this your dwelling place, right? You set it up to live there for a time. And this is the same with Jesus, that when he came, when he was made flesh, he didn't come to make a pit stop on planet Earth. He came to dwell among 
his people. He lived among us as one of us. Now, I think it's so amazing that he came in the first place, that God would come to us. But what is even more amazing is why he came. And so this is where I just want to focus in for the next few minutes, the time we have left over. This is why he came. Jesus came to make us his children. Jesus came to make us his children. I think this is so appropriate on Family Sunday where we're celebrating kids. We're going to be praying over students as they head back to school. Um, At the heart of the gospel is this idea of being children, children of God. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but Jesus, God, came to us as a child so that we could become children of God. He came because he wants to be our Abba Father. He wants to make us his sons and his daughters. And I just want to read verses 11 through 13 that we kind of skipped over in John chapter 1. It says this about Jesus, that he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, born spiritually, not of blood. In other words, it's not passed down from your parents. He goes on to say, nor of the will of the flesh. In other words, there's nothing you could do to produce this this spiritual birth. And then he goes on to say, uh, nor of the will of man. In other words, there's not anything that anybody else can do, not a pastor, not a priest. There's nothing that anybody can do to make you a child of God. He says this, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. In other words, only God can make you his child. This is this free gift that he offers us, that we can come into relationship with him. And listen now, Jesus in his coming, his goal, some of this, I want you to hear me out. This may rub some of you wrong. Jesus's goal in coming was not the removal of our sin. His goal was the restoration of our relationship. He wanted to have a relationship with us. He wanted us to come into his family. Now, listen, our sin was, just happened to be in the way because our sin separates us from God. But he didn't come just to wipe out our sin. He came to have a relationship with us. And in order to do that, he had to deal with our sin. And you know how he dealt with our sin? He took it upon himself. And he went to the cross and he died the death that we deserve because of our rebellion, because of our sinfulness, against God and he gave us what we didn't deserve. He gave us grace and mercy because he wants us to be his kids. He came to make us his children. And again, you may have grown up in church and you may have, you may have had some things ingrained in you about what Christianity is. And I just wanna be clear on this, is that Christianity is not about getting to heaven. Christianity is about getting to be a part of God's family. It's not about getting to heaven. It's about being a part of his family. Heaven just happens to be the eternal location, like the eternal address where we'll get to worship him for all of eternity. But the goal isn't to get to heaven. Heaven, the goal isn't to get to heaven. The the goal is to get God. 
do you hear me? It's not to get to heaven, it's to get God. It's for God to get all of us. We're not waiting until we get someplace else to worship him and to give him our lives. The goal is that we have a relationship with him here and now and on into eternity. The goal is to get God to be a son or a daughter. And, and you know as well as I do that we don't deserve his love. We don't, we don't deserve this, this welcome, this gracious welcome into his family. We have no right to sit around his table. You know, I, I remember growing up, I was, I was in my middle school years, and uh, I remember these, these two guys, these brothers that I just thought were the coolest guys. They were the cousins, all right? Mike and Bobby. They were like, everybody loved. They were so popular. Um, I loved their family. I loved hanging out with them. Um, they weren't hurting for money, so they had, you know, nice house. Um, they had, like, all kinds of toys. Like, they had four-wheelers and three-wheelers, and, um, and they had, uh, it's funny the things you remember. I remember they had this conversion van. That was so cool. It's like a party van. Some of you are like, what is that? Uh, it's the precursor to the minivan, if that tells you how amazing it was. Um, they had this sectional couch that to this day, I'm like, that is the biggest piece of furniture I've ever seen. I mean, it was just this full couch where we would wrestle and like I'd body slam them on this couch and we would wrestle and it was so fun. I love their family. The parents were really cool. Um, they ate out all the time, which our family didn't do. I mean, I love this family. Not that I didn't like my own family, but I was like, can I be part of y'all's family? Like, would y'all let me be a cousin brother? Like, I would love this. That sounded weird. Like, we're from Arkansas or somewhere. Um, the cousins. Um, I love this family, but I had no right to be in their family. I couldn't have just strolled in one day and been like, hey, y'all, I declare it. I am part of your family. All right, I'm changing my name. I am a son of the cousins. I'm going to be part of your family. I had no right. And it's the same thing with Jesus, that we have no right to be invited in to the family of God. There's nothing that we have done that would ever warrant this invitation to sit around the table of God and to receive his grace and his love. And yet what we see in John chapter one is that Jesus came and he gave us the right to become a child of God. Chapter, uh, verse number 12, all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children. You know, I've mentioned this before. I'll continue to say it because it's such an, a, a, a big marker of us as human beings and in particular as Americans that we are so big on our rights, aren't we? We're big on our constitutional rights and our employee rights and all the kind of rights that we have. And, and, and yet here's the reality is that every right that you have been given by man can be taken from you. But there is a God-given right that no one could ever strip away from you. It is the right, John 1 verse 12 tells us, that when we receive Jesus, when we put our faith in Christ, we also receive full authority to be able to claim the amazing, exalted title, child of God. Amen? We have full authority. We were given the right to become children of God if we would believe and receive him. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, the son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. 
the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. This is why Jesus came, to make us his children. And for some of you, maybe this morning you are a child of God, you have put your faith in Jesus, and you just need to be reminded today of your identity. Your primary identity is as a child of God. And if you have put your faith in Christ, you are in Christ. The same thing that, that God said about Jesus. If you remember when Jesus was baptized and the, 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 the spirit descended like a dove and the voice of God shouted from heaven, you know what he said? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And if you are a son or a daughter of God, that is the declaration that is your identity. That is what God declares over you. If you're in Christ, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. This is why Jesus came, to make us his children. And you know, we, ever, we can't ever get beyond the beauty of that truth. So how do we become a child of God? We, we saw it. In verses 12 and 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how do we become a child of God? It's simple. Believe. Believe. Maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time. Receive him. Believe in him. Look to Christ and simply believe. Believe in what he's done for you, believe that he loves you, believe that he died for you, believe that he has your best interests at heart and let him have your heart. Look to Christ. So I wanna share a story about Charles Spurgeon. Y'all have heard me talk about him. I refer to him as one of the old dead guys, all right? He's one of my favorite old theologians from the 1800s. I wanna tell you just about the story of him becoming a child of God because he was like this Baptist preacher, the prince of preachers, thousands flocked to his, his ministry. Um, it was incredible, but it all started here uh, on a wintry Sunday morning in January of 1850. And so young Charles, and this is what he looks like if you've never seen him, um, very stout fellow. He loved his cigars and um, all that stuff, but he uh, was 15 years old. He was in, he was, uh, an Englishman, so he was walking to church in this town in southeast England, and the snowstorm came, and, and, and the snow and the sleet began to intensify, and it forced him to kind of um, head down the side road or side alley. It was called Artillery Street, and he found a church called the Primitive Methodist Church, and he decided to duck in there and go to church for the morning because the storm was, was coming in, and so there was only probably 12 to 15 people present in this church. Even the preacher didn't make it because of, of the weather. And so one of the men in the church steps up to, you know, declare the word of God and preach that morning. And this man was probably a, a shoemaker or a tailor, you know, and he just gets up and he, he uh, announces his text for the morning. The, the verse was going to be Isaiah 45, verse 22. And in the King James Version, what it says is this, Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. Look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And Charles Spurgeon goes on to tell the story in his autobiography. It's called The Early Years. And uh, he said this, He, the preacher, had not much to say, thank God, 
You all have never thought that before, have you? Um, For that compelled him to keep on repeating the text, and there was nothing needed by me at any rate except his text. I remember how he said, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look, now, look and don't take a deal of pain. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college or learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A child, he says, can look. I love this. One who is almost an idiot can look. However weak or however poor a man may be, he can look. And if he looks, the promise is that he shall live. And Spurgeon goes on to say that you know, this man went on in his broad Essex accent. And he said this, many of you are looking to yourselves but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some say, look to God the Father. No, look to him by and by. It is Christ that speaks. I am in the garden and in agony, pouring out my soul unto death. I am on the tree dying for sinners. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend into heaven. Look Unto me, I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner, look unto me. Look unto me. And some of you say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. You have no business with that just now. Look to Christ. The text says, look unto me. And Spurgeon says that, you know, this lay preacher who got up to fill in just, you know, he went on for about 10 more minutes until he kind of ran out of things to say. And so he looks out amongst this, you know, small crowd of people and he picks out young Charles in the crowd. And he says this, he says, young man, you look very miserable. He said, like, can you all imagine that? Like Charles Spurgeon said, um, he said, it was probably true and it was probably true often, but I'd never gotten called out in church for looking miserable. Um, y'all better be thankful I don't call you out. Wake up. <laughs> he says, young man, you look very miserable and you always will be miserable. Miserable in life and miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. And then he shouted at the top of his voice, as I think only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing else to do but to look and live. And Charles Spurgeon says, and I did look I looked to Christ the only one that could save my soul the only one that could make me a son or a daughter of God and y'all this morning what I'm calling you to is to look to Jesus this is the point of the whole story it's all about Jesus He is the central character and he wants to be the central character in your life, in your story. And so look to Jesus. My hope today is that you will do just that, that maybe you've never looked to him. Maybe you've never believed in him. You've never received him as your Lord 
and as your savior. Can I give you some good news? Today can be the day when you look to Jesus, where you believe and you receive and you become a son or a daughter of God. And all it requires is that you would believe, that you would believe in him and you could just simply pray to him or call out to him and say, God, I believe, I believe in you. I wanna receive you today. And you can become a part of God's family. But you know what, for many of you, maybe you've believed, you've called upon his name, you would, you would say, I'm a son or a daughter of God. Can I implore you this morning, would you continue to look to Jesus? Would you continue to look to him? Maybe you've taken your eyes off of him. Maybe something in your life or in your world has caught your eye. Can I encourage you? Can I call you this morning to look to the Son of God, the Word of God, the light of the world, would you look to the Son today? And I want to pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you that you have given us this invitation, this offer to know you, to be a son or a daughter, that you welcome us into your family that there's nothing that we could inherit from our family. There's nothing that we could do in our flesh. There's nothing good enough that we could do. There's nothing anybody else could do for us to bring us into our family. It comes when we look to Jesus and believe with all of our hearts. And so Lord, I just thank you for that invitation, the right that you have given us to become a part of your family. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room today, young or old, somebody watching online or somebody tuning in months from now that would watch this. God, I pray that if there's anyone who doesn't know you and has never believed in you, that today they would believe. That today they would receive you. That today would be the day that you become their Abba Father. And Lord, for those of us that know you, Lord, those of us that would already say, I'm a son or a daughter, praise you for that today. May we continue to look to you, the word of God, the light of the world, the son of the living God. May we look to you. May you encourage us. May you strengthen us in our identity. May we hear from the heart of God, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well Thank you for this. We look to you again. In Jesus' name we pray.